Well, speaking of those wins, we've all had enough of them already, but we'd better just get our heads around what's coming this summer uh, and beyond. Uh, sometimes being informed can, you know, help you make plans and help you also um, get your expectations sorted. The Westerlies, you'll have to hold on for quite a bit longer if you're over them. Not only are they expected to make a return over much of the North Island this weekend, they're also likely to be a feature of the incoming El Nino weather pattern. And forecasters say that El Nino is likely to be one of the strongest in 80 years. For more of what you can expect in your region, Chris Brandolino, Principal Scientist Forecasting at NIWA. Morena, Chris. Thanks for having me on. We know we have these weather cycles. We're used to them. I had my Canterbury days. I used to love a big, soaring, hot Canterbury Norwester. Some people used to used to be the straw that broke the camel's back. Is there anything unusual about what we are getting uh, this season so far at the opening of the El Nino? I think the wind has certainly caught people or caught people's attention for sure. And that's one thing we'll see. I think that'll be a theme or something we'll take notice throughout spring, even into summer, is more pronounced windy days or more of them, stronger winds, more frequent wind, windy periods. And I know spring is inherently kind of a windy, changeable season, but um, what we're expecting this spring and even beyond is goes beyond that. So what can we expect? If we think back over our El Nino pasts and we know we get droughts in parts of the country and we get mm. these big westerly wind flows, uh, what what will it mean for different parts of the country over the next, what do we expect, two to three years if, if we look at the at the actual uh, extent of the pattern? But what, what, more, what detail can you give us in the, in the shorter term? Yeah, look, first of all, El Nino means different things for different people. So obviously, um, if you're on the west of the South Island versus the east of the North Island, those are different things. And no El Nino's average. We know the average outcome, but every El Nino has its own personality, its own sort of characteristics, its own flavor. So having said those qualifiers, um, our expectation is for the next, uh, well, for the rest of the calendar year. So this takes us to the, you know, December, end of December. We're going to see um, these periods of strong westerly quarter winds. When I say westerly quarter, that could be south of west or north of west. And that has a, uh, an impact on, on air temperature, which I'll touch on in a moment. But what El Nino does, so let's, let's kind of go first principles here. All El Nino is, when you boil it down, is basically warm ocean water at the surface, so sea surface temperatures, becoming unusually warm off the South American coast, so along the equator. So imagine out toward the Galapagos and out toward South America, along the equator to about the Dateline. The water becomes unusually warm. That is basically the ocean saying, I am in El Nino. It has to be more than a half degree Celsius. If you get to a degree and a half Celsius, we call that a strong El Nino. And if it gets to two degrees Celsius, warmer than usual in a certain zone in that region I spoke to, then it becomes a very strong El Nino. This is right now strong. We're at 1.6 degrees Celsius just about in terms of a difference from average of ocean temperatures. Why is that a big deal? Because when that happens, that's a teleconnection. So El Nino is a climate driver. So that means uh, but climate drivers, who's at the steering wheel of Mother Nature's car? And if you know what the, who's driving the car, you have a good idea which direction you're going to go. So El Nino, being a climate driver, has teleconnections to Aotearoa, New Zealand. What that tends to do when we have El Nino, we tend to have high pressure off to about the North Island, north and west of the North Island, toward Australia and the Coral Sea. We tend to have low pressure situated 
uh, near the South Island and especially south of the South Island. And got to think of those like two cogs. That cog of high pressure, uh, that spins anticlockwise or counterclockwise, yeah? And the low pressure spins clockwise. And as a result, that enhances the westerly wind flow. So that's why we have these westerlies. And if we have stronger westerlies, more frequent westerlies, what that's going to do is for places along the west of the South Island, so Greymouth, Hoth, Hukitika, the Ordland National Park, even towards Southland, even interior Otago, you're going to find more in the way of rain. You're going to find, um, you know, wet conditions. Whereas on the other side of the divide, Canterbury, over toward eastern Otago, all the way up to Marlborough, you're going to find a tendency for probably reduced rainfall, that fern effect, the downsloping. For the North Island, same idea, except closer to that one cog called high pressure. And that will, high pressure, as you like to tell people, means happy weather. You know, high pressure, happy weather, easy way to remember it, begins with the letter H. And so high pressure is good for holiday makers. Sunshine, settled conditions. We also have that westerly component. So we're talking eastern areas like Tarafinti, Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, Wakato, Northland, Auckland. Dryness is something that's front and center in terms of what to expect for the next three months and beyond. So that's kind of a high-level view. El Nino induces stronger westerlies, more frequent westerlies, and therefore that has an impact on where the rainfall occurs or lack thereof. So what do these winds do to soil moisture as well? Yeah, well, that's why a dryer works, doesn't it? You have warm air and, mm. and you have wind. You know, just like you, you use the restroom, you wash your hands, you use the, yeah. the air dryer, and, and hot air moving is much more efficient at stripping away moisture than, say, air that's not moving if the air were warm. So that certainly is a component. Um, it also increases fire risk, um, big waves, you know. So there are kind of secondary and flow-on effects from having uh, higher wind speeds, for sure. So what would you compare it to for folks old enough to remember? I mean, they are they can be very memorable, these summers, and depending on whether you're farming or whether you're surfing, uh, you might have very, very different views about them. But... For those who've seen a few come and go, what would you compare this one to? You've just said it's the biggest in 80 years, but what would get nearest? Well, we're looking at some what we call analogs. So analogs, you're trying to understand which years in the past have similar conditions to the current year. So that can kind of give you some insight as to what to expect moving forward. And you can take those analog years and kind of compare it to what is what is the modeling showing us. And ideally, you'd like to see some consistency to give you some confidence. And there's a couple things going on here. So I'm going to go into the weeds, Catherine, but I have a machete. So hopefully we'll tear down those weeds and we don't get tangled up into them. So the idea is that when you look back at history, um, 97, 98 was a really strong El Nino. 82, 83 was a really strong El Nino. 72, 73 was a really strong. Those are strong El Nino events. And those years were had some differences, but all of them, what they did have in common was dryness for much of the North Island, in particular the eastern and northern parts of the North Island, as well as dryness for the eastern part of the South Island. So that's something we can we feel pretty confident that there will be a, redu- a reduction of rainfall for the coming three months and beyond into summer, maybe even into autumn. But there's another player, Catherine, and it's El Nino's cousin. And this is where I'm going to go into the weeds a little bit. There's actually um, an El Nino, if you will, in the Indian Ocean, and that is called the Indian Ocean Dipole. Yeah, I and wanted to mention Indian- that. 
Just explain yeah, more so about it. It's a different. It's a, obviously located differently, but do these two collide? They do. They do. So back in uh, 2019, 2020, right before COVID hit, we had a very strong Indian Ocean dipole. So an Indian Ocean dipole, it's the same as El Nino with this in, in some ways. What it's describing is that there's unusually warm water in the western portion of the Indian Ocean when you get kind of north and northeast of Madagascar and uh, between Madagascar and India, let's say. And then there's unusually cool water well northwest of Australia toward um, Indonesia. And that is kind of a similar setup what you, what you, what you have in, in, in the Pacific Ocean, except it's in the Indian Ocean. And the reason we always look at ocean temperatures is because, you know, sometimes you'll hear, you know, in, when there's a, I don't know, some kind of conspiracy or some kind of fraud, there's the expression, follow the money. Well, we follow the ocean temperatures. Wherever the ocean temperatures are unusually warm or unusually cool, that is gonna, that's going to tell us where the air is going to rise, where the air is going to sink. With the Indian Ocean Dipole, we have this situation where it's very positive. So it's in a very positive phase. And what that is going to do is really turn down the tropical tap. So between what's happening in the Indian Ocean, El Nino's cousin, the Indian Ocean Dipole, and what's happening in the Pacific Ocean, El Nino itself, we're going to see the tropics really cut off. Now, it doesn't mean it won't be cut off entirely. We still have to keep our eyes to the north because if the situations come together correctly, one can slip through the goalie, so to speak, and you can get something coming down here. But the odds of that are greatly reduced. And because we are kind of limiting the amount of interaction and the connection we have to the tropical north where it's very moist, um, unlike the past few years, that reduces the odds of rainfall. So and dry. Dry, dry, dry. Yeah. Dry. And thank yeah, you, Chris. And Thanks very much. Yep. Forewarned is forearmed. Yes. Um, and a lot of uh, a lot of this also is just it's planning for many people uh, who are going to be affected, and it's also just getting your your mindset right. Um, if you're waiting for that lovely calm day where you can just sit out under the trees, there's there's going to be a bit of a breeze up. Thank you so much, Chris Brandolino, principal scientist forecasting at NIWA.